NFL fans, go to NFLshop.com and check out all the latest officially licensed NFL gear today. Looking for the perfect gift or just gearing up for the 2021 season? NFL Shop is the ideal place to get the gear players and coaches wear on field. Your favorite player's jersey or gear customized just for you. Choose from the largest assortment for all 32 teams anywhere. NFLshop.com is your source for the best selection of officially licensed NFL products from jerseys, apparel, hats, collectibles, and more. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com today. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are extremely cool and chill, if I do say so myself. In our new podcast, How Did We Get Weird?, we'll talk about our favorite snacks, shows, and obsessions from growing up with some of your favorite comedians, musicians, and other A-list celebrities. Sorry, we're major. Listen to How Did We Get Weird? from Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, Tara, would you consider, if there is an artist who has only ever released one album, would you call that their debut, or does that not count because it's also their final album? Hmm, I think I would count it as a debut album. So for, for our, our... Because also, well, I don't know, are they dead? Because maybe they are going to still release one one day. You never know. That's a good point. Broken up bands don't always stay broken up. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Oh, hey, hi. Uh, welcome to our record store. I'm Seth. This is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Um, because, yeah, I, I guess Grace is technically Dave or, or Jeff Buckley's debut. But, yeah. But it's also his last, I don't know, that, that, that seems like a, a, a strange, uh, strange little situation. I, I don't know if it like breaks rules or something. Oh, hey, look who's here. It's Trevor Young. Hello, Trevor. Hey, wow. You guys have a lot of really good like hair metal and glam metal posters on the wall. These are beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know you guys were so into poison. <laughs> you know, the collections change, you know, it's it's what we're <laughs> feeling at the time. C- Coming next week, maybe it'll, it'll all be new wave. You, you never know. It's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a rotating uh, smorgasbord of posters and art. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely shiny. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I, actually, while you were walking in, we're, we're talking about uh, debut albums today, Trevor. Uh, uh, how would you like to join us for the High Fidelity game today where we uh, drop down our top fives? Yeah, yeah, I think I'd uh, really like that. I love debut albums. I love the the concept of digging into where a band first started. <laughs> Good. Uh, well, well, hey, uh, Tara, uh, today it is your turn to go first. Why don't, why don't you kick us Ooh. off? Okay. Um, yeah, I, f- I feel like this one's kind of easy because as, as soon as you hear something new and you like it, you're like, <gasps> you know, you tend to hang on to that one more than any of the others, uh, I think. So do you mean like if you're listening to an artist's discography, the one you fall in love with first is like the one that sticks with you kind of like that? Well, if you're just hearing of a a new, a new artist or band or whatever, and it's their first release, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I feel like you you kind of just tend to like that one the most because it was your introductory and you fell in love with them, like love at first listen kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, um, fair. Well, for me, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking through that and I'm just thinking, well, actually, I liked Pinkerton better than the Blue Album. So maybe <laughs> right. that's not true. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. But anyway, I, I guess there's it, plenty it was, of room for... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was still an easy list to make just because I, I can clearly remember a bunch of debut albums that I really liked. Nice. So I will start with number five. And it's actually the newest album on my list. And that is from the year 2000 by the Avalanches, Since You Left Me. Yeah, so um, I don't know what to say about this one, except for that it's just so happy and airy and breezy and fun, um, you know, chock full of samples. Apparently, they adopted this attitude. No one's really going to listen to this, hmm. so let's not clear our samples. And then, of course, they had to clear them there at the end and had to use an expert to figure them all out. Huh. And get them all cleared. You mean like they, <laughs> yeah. did, they didn't keep track of their own samples? No, so. they were just kind of like, as we go, just adding samples here and there and weren't really keeping track. So that's, uh, that's kind of fun. I kind of like that. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, and honestly too, that, that feels like a better artistic expression also, where it's like, if you're, if you're worrying too much about the financial and legal aspect of art, it, it's going to hinder you in one way or another. And unless that's part of your art, that's not really that good you know it, it, it should be a free artistic expression so yeah no I, I, I've never heard that that's 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 really interesting yeah super super interesting I mean I don't know once they cleared everything I wonder how much like how much they had to pay out yeah. <laughs> versus how much they made uh, I don't really know anything about that as far as music is concerned but kind of interesting for sure for sure I feel like I'm always chasing the high that I get from an album like this where, you know, I never heard the avalanches before I heard this. And then it was such a good record that I'm always looking for that, that feeling, you know, that you get from yeah. listening to an album, this fun and cool with all the samples and whatnot. So I also wonder if it was as difficult to make as it sounds because it sounds like yeah. this was like a magnum opus. They put years and years yeah. into crafting every single millimeter of that album and I don't know if that's true. It just sounds like that's what it was. Yeah, I actually don't think that, I think they were just passing, you know, uh, someone, I think it's two people. I could be wrong, but uh, it's, I think that they were passing things back and forth to each other. Like they, one person would add a layer, the other person would add a layer and kind of built out all these songs. Wow. But it definitely took a long time for them to come out with the second album. Right. So. It was like 14, 15 years later, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. No, th th That's uh, it. Um, Number five. I'll, I'll admit that that was on my short list as well. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Mm, moving on to number four from 1998, Estero, Breath from Another. I try not to ruin the moment. Tell me all your secrets and your torment. You're delicious. You're yeah. It's starting out to be very electronic. Actually, my list is mostly electronic now that I'm looking at it. Um, <laughs> this is a trip hop classic. I, I don't I don't know anything about <gasps> this. None of these words what? are familiar to me. Wow. Oh my goodness. So 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 first yeah. what's the artist's name again? Estero. 
How do you spell that? In E-S-T-H-E-R-O. Okay. Um, redheaded Canadian lady. Um, trip hop. So it's like very loungy. There's even some maybe jungle drum and bass vibes here and there sprinkled about. Um, yeah, just it's an epic album from the trip hop era, but wow. not a lot of, I don't think a lot of uh, copies were sold of this album, but it's such a favorite of mine. I remember listening to it in college, like at the coffee shop, you know, that that whole era of trip hop music is so, so cool. I can't really, man, I wish you guys had heard it. Like, it's so good. Well, I'm, I'm grateful I get to hear it for, <laughs> for the first time yeah, now. I appreciate the recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know she's had some minor successes with other things. Like, I think there is a song featured on like this movie soundtrack or that movie soundtrack and TV hmm. shows, whatnot. But this was probably her most famous album, even though it wasn't like super famous. So, um, and what year did you say it was again? 1998. 1998. Now, now you know, trip hop really, really well. What would you say is like the, the time window when trip hop was like King and when it existed, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe I would say mid nineties to early two thousands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I love and it. I, I look forward I to hearing this. Yeah. It's like, I don't know why people stopped calling it trip hop. I mean, it always has been, but like, for example, there have been newer Massive Attack albums or there have been newer Portishead yeah. albums or even um, like a Mad Lib album might be considered trip hop here and there. There were right. definitely hip hop elements and rap elements in trip hop. So I don't know why people just stopped calling it that. It's a great point. Yeah. I mean, do people you, call it something different now? I don't, I don't think I so. I mean, I just don't use that word. Maybe it's just like yeah. lo fi hip hop or something. Because think mm -hmm. about like DJ Shadow, for example, he was yeah. one of the like, you know, the tent poles of, of trip hop. Right. He's still mm -hmm. not only working, but still making very popular songs. That song he did with Run the Jewels, uh, what was it called? I want to say Nobody Speak, I want to say. Anyway, whatever yeah. it was called. Yeah. That really great song he did with Run the Jewels was very, very popular. Everyone loved it. I never heard the word trip hop mentioned once, despite the fact that it's yeah. still DJ Shadow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that um, kind of died, I guess. But the music yeah. didn't really die. We, we still hear music with those similar elements. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I might have to look into that further after, after we <laughs> chat through the list. Um, but yeah, okay, let's move on to number three, also from 1998, also electronic, also kind of loungy. And it is from the French band Air. And the album is Moon Safari. I know it. Um, I was actually working in a, a record store when this came out, and um, I'd never heard it before, obviously. So I put it on the like you know speakers, store speakers, mm -hmm. and I became so obsessed with it. I think I probably played it way too much in store. I definitely bought it for myself, of course, too. But it's so good. There's something so kind of grown up about it. Yeah. But also like kind of um, not cheesy, but lighthearted Kelly watch the stars sexy boy like yeah. those are kind of lighthearted <laughs> but also so it's kind of a grown-up album like I I think it well obviously it came out in 98 so I was only 18 or 19 
So I couldn't drink alcohol, but I imagine listening to this album while sipping on a martini or something like that. You know, like it has that lounge kind of retro. Well, I, I like to call it retro futurism, where it's kind of like future space sounds, but also vintage space sounds. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. I know exactly um, what you mean. It's also interesting to see where Air went from that debut. Because it started off great, and in my opinion, it just kept like getting better and better and better. Yeah. Like Air has never um, kind of like rested. They keep kind of like pushing themselves farther and farther and doing more and more and newer interesting things. I, I love Air. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, me too. They're so great. Um, I, I always liked how Air um, kind of like blended really like old sounds with newer sounds, and I think they did that really well on this debut album. Mm. Um, by that, I mean, like, they had a lot of influences in bands like Pink Floyd, especially, like, early Floyd. Um, but they also were, like, really influenced by, um, like, impressionist classical composers. And as somebody who, like, went to music school and had to study all that, <laughs> I always got a kick out of air and, like, hearing how they, like, tried to sound like Maurice Ravel or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this first one, I, was, I, th I think, was, like, that in its purest form, too. You know, they got more and more, like... I don't want to say poppy, but like um, easier to listen to over the years. Yeah. 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 If you've ever heard their um, Late Night Tales album, do you know those compilations, Late Night Tales? And sometimes there's there's another one called Back to Mine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, Air doesn't have a Back to Mine. But they one, do have a Late Night Tales. A, but they do have a Late Night Tales. Yeah. And it's, they're just kind of the like same, uh, same idea, I guess. But um, there are a lot of classical songs. And then you have maybe some old crooners like, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The old man is Scott Walker. Mm, yeah. Like that sort of um, 60s era spaghetti Western and uh, I don't know, just like crooner, crooners. <laughs> yeah. And you can hear that in their music too, which has that same sort of like soundtrack 60s, but also psychedelic moments. So good. Yeah. Does anyone remember this movie? I talked about this a lot in my trip hop Twitch set sometimes, but there's a movie, I can never remember what it's called, and it's space themed. A soundtrack, the soundtrack is by this band called Mellow uh, C, it's like C something. CQ, it's CQ. I just remember oh, it. Oh, yeah. and it's know? the letter C and the, yeah. then the letter Q. Yes, that is made yes. by. Um, it's one of the Coppolas, isn't it? Oh, is it? I had no idea. It had like no success, I don't think. But it is a very um, good movie. I, I fully agree. I, I own that on uh, on DVD. <laughs> Moon Safari seems like it could potentially be a soundtrack for CQ, even though the band Mellow did the soundtrack for, or I guess, soundtrack. I want to say that it was made by Roman Coppola, but I'm Googling wow, this right now. I had now. no idea. I believe. Here it is. Okay. I'm clicking on IMDb on my cell phone, on my on the app. <laughs> and yes, it is. It's a Roman Coppola film. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. I had no idea that was him. Well, that's cool. Yeah. But Moon Safari kind of has that vibe, like a psychedelic space theme. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Totally agree. All right. Enough about that. On to number two from 1993, uh, Liz Fair, Exile in Guyville.
classic. Absolutely. Definitely a classic. Um, started out, you know, she recorded some tapes under the moniker Girly Sound. Um, and then, of course, that made its way uh, through many hands of influential people who then decided to sign her to a record label and released it as her solo album, her debut solo album, Exile in Guyville. And it's so good. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. Um, She says those songs were not personal stories, but they feel so personal in so many ways. And maybe that's just like, maybe that's her goal even to reach other women or other people on this personal level, but without having to fully like, you know, get it out her own stories. I, I don't know. Michael Stipe said the same thing. He said he has never really? sung autobiographically. Everything he sings about is completely made up. Oh, wow. I yeah. had no idea. But yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's an interesting take. I mean, honestly, it, it'll probably give you a wider variety of material to work from if you're making it all up, you know? So, eh. Yeah. Interesting. I also dig that, um, that Liz Fair, I feel like the world wants to put her in a box perpetually and be like, Liz Fair, you are this. You Here's your definition. Here's your genre. You stay here. And then she does something entirely different. And everyone's like, what? I hate this. This isn't the Liz Fair box. Mm-hmm. And then people get used to her in her new box. And they go, you know what? She's right. I like her over there now. And then she'll jump into a different box. And then it was like, no, I'm used to Liz Fair over here. She can't be over there. And it's this whole like game of catch up with her where like, People want her, and I think in particular because of Exile and Guyville, they want her to be like almost like a grunge rock princess. Like that's sort of like the like definition to put on Liz mm-hmm. Fair. And she's, she's yeah. just a lot more than that. She has a lot more than that in her. So you can't really just kind of keep her in one genre. Yeah. I feel like I've read something about this album in particular where she was like trying to, not trying to prove something, but almost like shove it in the faces of the indie kids in Chicago. Like they were, I don't know, they were causing some issues or or just were like anti Liz Fair for a long time. And this album, when it came out, um, they were just causing such a stink, like in the Chicago indie scene. But this album has made it to so many great, like top albums of all time lists. So it's kind of a haha in your face. Yeah, thing. for sure. Hmm. Uh, I don't know the details, obviously, like, there's something there, though. I'm just now listening to her um, her audio, well, it's her book. I'm listening to it on audio book, um, but it's called Horror Stories. Hmm. And it's just like random stories throughout her life. Is it good? And I, yeah, it's interesting because you want her to talk more about music, but she doesn't at all. Hmm. Well, I mean, barely. I, I don't know. It, it's really interesting. Um, And I just think, I don't know. It seems like... She is constantly, you were talking about how she's always put in, in a box and she seems like she's even kind of putting herself in certain boxes sometimes. Hmm. She'll say, you know, like when she's talking about a photo shoot, she was saying, I don't know if I'm trying to prove something by looking this way or that, or, or am I just letting someone have creative freedom with me, even though I have some sort of brand? I don't know, just the way she talks about herself, it still seems like she's constantly trying to figure out who she is, even though... It seems like she already knows who she is. I don't know if I said that the right way, but I, I understand what you mean, though. She she's complex. Like like there, yeah. there's no question about that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I feel like that probably explains why her music's so different with every album, though. That's which is true. A great thing to me, you know. For sure. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, that was number two. 
Um, all right, number one from 1993 also uh, is by Bjork, Debut. You know, we've talked about Bjork before on this uh, or in this uh, record store a few times, especially, I don't know if you recall when we were talking about sophomore albums, I totally could not, I was like, I can't put Bjork on a sophomore albums list because I love debut so much. Mm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, she goes at the top of this list, Um, but man, it's full of bangers. Yeah. Human behavior, Venus as a boy, big time sensuality, violently happy. And all of them are super dancey, like housey. Of course, there's some more like experimental moments, like mm-hmm. e- experimental pop moments, if you will. But if you think about when this album came out, I mean, especially compared to the one we just talked about, Liz Fair, is like in a time where it's grunge and guitar driven, Britpop was huge. But this album is so not that, and I and I love that. Um, that's really all I have to say about about this album. I just love it so much. You know, I love Bjork, and this one's my favorite. I love that it was like the weirdest thing to come out in '93 by far. <laughs> you know, like I can't think of anything else that came out that year that like did as much for like the progress of music and like changing, you know, where we went into the next millennia than than this album. You know. Yeah, it also it it really felt um, very European to me at the time. Like I've I've always felt like um, the whole like club dance electronic sound was able to become part of the mainstream much easier in England than it ever was here, and I guess other parts of Europe too. But um, whenever I heard debut back then, I always thought like, oh, this is what those British people like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And uh, I think it's more or less true. Yeah. I mean, even the avalanches when they made Since You Left Me were talking about the big drum sounds of electronic music at the time, like Chemical Brothers and uh, Orbital and Fluke and Fotech and people like that. And then you have Bjork who made it to an alternative rock chart with this electronic album that has those same house electronic elements. It's really interesting to think about um, like kind of how certain things fall into place with history yeah but it's a great choice because it's it's called debut it's it's you know (laughs) and and yeah depending upon your definition this could be like technically her like one two three four this could be like her fifth album if you look at it differently because she has all for sugar cube stuff and she has that one album she put out when she was like 10 years old with like with like her stepfather when she's like covering the beatles and stuff um so yeah, no, it, it's it's yeah. clearly her debut though. I mean, she called it debut on purpose. <laughs> For sure, yeah. yeah. And it is totally different from the Sugar Cubes too because they had all those jangly guitars and mm-hmm. the guy singer, I forget his name. I also like that she's always does, she always does some sort of jazz standard covers. Yeah. <laughs> what you know, is that? It's an like, odd why? move, but it fits her perfectly. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. It's so good. Great stuff. That's my that's my list. Love it. Love it. Perfect list. Um, well, uh, Tara, you can go put your records away. And while you're doing that, Trevor, take a little lap around the store, gather up what you think your top five is. We'll all meet okay. back here in a minute. And we'll continue our game.
This episode is brought to you by The Last Duel, a film by Ridley Scott, director of Gladiator. Witness the true story of one woman who defied a kingdom and made history. Starring Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Academy Award nominee Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, who gives a performance critics say will be remembered come Oscar time. The script was written by Academy Award nominee Nicole Hall of Center, as well as Affleck and Damon. The Last Duel, now playing only in theaters. Hey dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Okay, we are back. Uh, we are doing top five debut albums. Tara has gone. And now, Trevor Young, our customer today, you're joining in. Please kick us off. Yes. Thank you. I got so much good wax. Uh, I tried to get something from every corner of the store. Uh, mm-hmm. So something from each era, uh, each style. Try to get as much diversity as I can. But I went with like kind of generally mainstream things as well. Because I, 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 I thought about some more obscure picks but decided I didn't want to freak anybody out. <laughs> um, so um, I guess I'll start with what is number five and the earliest of those eras. Uh, and that is the self-titled debut album by Rush, also called Rush. So Rush is, uh, if not my favorite, probably one of my favorite bands. And um, this album is just like unique in their discography for a number of reasons. But most of all, I think because it doesn't feature Neil Peart, who was uh, like their main lyricist and drummer who uh, passed away last year, sadly. Um, And I think that's another reason why this was like kind of in my mind recently was, you know, thinking about. Uh, his legacy and and kind of where this album sits in their whole discography, but um, you know when this album came out, man, it just like it like kicked ass. It was just like so rocking, and there was really nothing else like it. Maybe Zeppelin is you know I guess what people compared it to, but yeah, um, but but it, yeah, it felt a lot more proggy than than Zeppelin. Like it was like Zeppelin plus complexity, you know? Yeah, and of course like. They would get much more complex a few years later with, you know, like 2112 and Hemispheres and some of those like big prog rock opera type albums. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this one was just like a lot of really strong single tracks, you know, that were really radio friendly, you know, talking about dating girls and driving cars <laughs> and stuff people did in the 70s, you know. You know, I think it was like all the artists in my list. And I think this is true for like, Anybody with a debut album, especially like Bjork, who you were just talking about, there's like been years and years of like working up to it, you know, and I think for Rush, like they have been going for like five years. I don't know. 
but you know Alex and uh, Getty, Getty Lee, they were like friends in middle school, and they had been like jamming together for years and years, and everybody in Toronto knew them, and so there was like a lot of expectation for this album, and you know I think when it finally came out, it caught the attention of a you know a nerdy kid named Neil. And, you know, what eventually, like, attract him into the band and become what we know them to be. But, um, yeah, phenomenal phenomenal album if you haven't heard it. Here's a question I have for you. Um, so I know, you, like you said, you uh, you studied music in school and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you mostly mm-hmm. played bass, is that correct? Like stand-up bass? Or correct. Would you yeah. call that cello? What would you call that? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, double bass or uh, stand-up bass or, you know, if you, like... Play it as much as I do. You just call it the bass. Gotcha. <laughs> so um, with that instrument, and I guess pretty much anyone who studies music seriously, I tend to see a lot of folks kind of gravitating towards more complex music, gravitating towards, in many ways, prog rock is a good example of that. Um, do you find that to be true amongst other people you know who also study music seriously? Oh, yeah. Um, although I'll say a lot of my picks coming up are like not super complex <laughs> but you know i think growing up and going to music school um yeah i'd say like the most listened to bands are bands like um you know porcupine tree and tool yeah. Yeah, again more <laughs> prog bands um it's like that's definitely like the stuff i was exposed to the most a lot of that stuff got really like self-indulgent to me you know mm-hmm. like the king crimsons of the world and the the fish uh it just like didn't land after a while. Like I, I, I liked having a blend of like listenability and also experimentation and like progginess. Um, it, it had to be like fun too. It couldn't just be, you know, this masturbatory jam that goes on for an hour. Like it just was never my thing, but um, <laughs> I know it's a lot of people's things. So right. Yeah. Sell, yeah, yeah. sell it short, you know, totally, totally. That's why Baskin Robbins is 31 flavors, a little bit for everyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I can I can say that I'm not on the uh, end of appreciating Rush as much as everyone usually does. Uh, I mostly am just annoyed by the singer's voice. Oh, really? Is, <laughs> so annoyed by it. But uh, yeah. like, is the is the first album? You it, I don't know. I don't think I've heard the first album. So maybe it's like you said. It seems like it might be more listenable hmm. than yeah, others. It, it, it's definitely more like straight ahead rock than Prague. It's like their one album that is like not conceptual or, um, you know, epic in any way. It's just like a bunch of good, friendly, you know, uh, working class tunes, you know, like three piece rock band. Yeah. You might enjoy it a little better. Yeah. It sounds like I should at least is Tom Jones on that one. No, this is, um, (laughs) yeah, just Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson. And then the drummer was, um, what was his name? John Retzi. And wait, was cool. it Tom Jones or was it Tom Sawyer? Tom Sawyer. My gotcha. Bad. Oh, you're thinking about Tom Sawyer? <laughs> gotcha. I was just picturing. Tom Jones, I'm like, the other guy. Did they it's write a song unusual. about Tom Jones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Tom, Tom, Sawyer. Tom Sawyer is, uh, it's good eight years later, I think. Gotcha. Um, okay, okay. They do yeah. that album. So Interesting. Okay, yeah, I think I need to re-listen or listen Speaking of, of Getty Lee's voice, though, um, whenever I hear the name Getty Lee, it always reminds me of the um, the the lyrics from that pavement song Stereo, where it goes, uh, what about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. And then the other person's voice kicks in and he goes, I know him. And he does. <laughs> and like, oh, my God. It's, it's such... 
<laughs> such a That's dumb so lyric funny. and so perfect for pavements. <laughs> it's uh, it's such a like inside joke, Getty's voice. So like you're not alone in disliking it. People make fun of him for it all the time. <laughs> right. People made for, fun of him for it in the 70s and 80s. It was just kind of a thing that you had to get used to and right. like yeah. grow to appreciate after over time. So <laughs> love it. All right. It's almost. Oh, sorry. Oh. Go ahead. I don't know. Yeah, I was just going to say it's almost like uh, the the voice covers up how ta- it doesn't really cover up how talented the musicians are, but like it does kind of stick out. It can distract way. people. It's c- kind of yeah. like um, think about Joanna Newsom. I think a lot of people think the same yeah. thing about her. Like if they can't get past her voice or Daniel Johnston or Leonard Cohen. Yeah. yeah. If you, if you have a I distinctive voice. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a distinctive voice, it, c- it could be a thorn in your paw, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, it's, yeah, it's just something that takes time. You know, the first time you listen, you're like, that was weird. <laughs> Second time you listen, you're like, okay. And then after like an hour with it, you're like, wow, this is actually really good. You know? Yeah. So yeah, give it a shot. All right. Number four, what you got for us? Okay. Moving up in the timeline, um, I've got uh, the debut album by Black Flag, Damaged. Uh, so, Damage is just incredible. Um, for anybody who hasn't listened, it's just like this very raw, very like in-your-face uh, punk album. I think it was 81 this album came out. And um, it was the first recording to feature Henry Rollins, who most people know as being like uh, part of Black Flag. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, it's just awesome to me. I think Henry was really channeling his inner Iggy pop. You know, it sounds like something off raw power. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, you know, the songs are so much fun, you know, so silly at times, like talking about drinking beer and like watching TV. Um, and it's just like very like West Hollywood in the eighties to me, you know, every time I listen to it, it just like takes me back to being in some like shitty little club, you know, somewhere in LA where like, dried beer sticking to your feet as you're walking through the venue and like the walls are falling apart. Um, it's just like, it's just a perfect punk album to me. Yeah. And honest, honestly, I don't think anything else Black Flag did after that measured up to it. I feel that way about a lot of punk bands though, is that like their debut yeah. is really powerful. It's like concentrated, like almost like a thesis statement of the band. And then it just turns into whatever else. Maybe like the lineup changes like it did with Black Flag or or the Misfits, for example. Or, and, yeah, um, Misfits for sure. And all, all that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, they, they, they have like a little bouillon cube. That's the debut. And then it just kind mm-hmm. of whatever. Something else happens. It turns into soup. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think like a lot of, uh, you know, punk albums, especially early punk albums, uh, it's kind of like a miracle it ever came together. You know, mm. it was like, the the band and the chemistry was such a mess and it was so chaotic you know kind of like the sex pistols the only album they ever released you know it's it's like how did that ever even come together right Uh, like when you hear the stories of the recording sessions they're just like you know them fighting about stuff and like people coming in at the last minute like don't know their lines don't know the words but somehow they like just force it out you know henry rollins had to like learn all the parts uh in like a course of a week or something you know yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's always cool to me when things are so DIY, but somehow they pull through. And I think uh, this album really like catches that, you know, little zeitgeist really well. It also makes me wonder how many albums we haven't heard where it's the same situation. It's, you know, everything is so loose and so wild and unorganized, 
but the root that would be there if they pulled mm-hmm. it together for just a minute to actually get it recorded. <laughs> like how many yep. more classic albums would we have in the world if these, you know, hundreds, thousands of bands who can't get their shit together got it together for just a day. So at least we got one album yep. out of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wild to think about. And, great, uh, great pick though. Yeah, I mean, you know, punk musicians, especially back then where, you know, artists and in the true sense of the word, you know, they didn't really have jobs or go to school or, you know, do anything back then except do this. So um, I think expecting them to like be professional in any sense, especially a recording studio was just like too big of an ask. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that the downside to that is that it, uh, we didn't get a lot of music that we probably could have. So mm. yeah, so it goes. Now I'm moving into a, a really dangerous period and that's the the late '90s, early 2000s, mm. and <laughs> I can't say you know a lot of music from this time period holds up, but I think this this uh, album I'm about to talk about does. Um, and so number three is uh, debut album by Linkin Park, which is Hybrid Theory. It starts with one thing. I don't know why it doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I'm designed just trying to explain in due time. Oh, um. You know, this is the kind of stuff I listened to in like middle school. And, you know, at the time I thought it was badass. And <laughs> you're, you're I didn't implying that you it. don't think that anymore. <laughs> well, here's the thing I didn't listen to it for like 20 years. Uh-huh. And then it had the, it, so it came out in 2000 and it had the 20th anniversary last year, 2020. And I like checked it out again just to like, I don't know, revisit. And I tend to do that with a lot of music from that area, a lot of the like, uh, new metal and uh, gent stuff that like I would never listen to but never listen to anymore but like at the time I thought it was really cool right and this album like holds up like hmm. it sounds phenomenal to me I feel like this album and um, System of a Down's Toxicity are like the two albums that just like for whatever reason powered through all the crap from that era you know like uh, lived above the hot topicness of it all <laughs> and we're just like <laughs> So, so worth it to listen to again. And, you know, frankly, I didn't listen to much Linkin Park after this. Like, I think Meteora came after this and it was like decent. And then they got like kind of cringe to me after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, again, this album like is none of those things. I feel like it's um, got a lot of, you know, a lot of heart. Uh, it really like captures, I think, of a lot of that like turn of the millennia uh, electronic dystopia sound that was really prominent at the time through like, you know, films like Fight Club and um, The Matrix, you know, had a lot of like Dust Brothers influence, I think. Um, in fact, I think they might've even been producers on this album. Hmm. Huh. Wow. Uh, it, like um, that industrial like, sound kind of thing? Yeah, industrial, um, definitely a lot of Trent Reznor in this. Um, I might need to listen to this again because yeah. the way you're describing it sounds very appealing. <laughs> but I, I've, I've, I, I can say I've never listened to this album. Uh, I've heard the singles because they were very, very prominent at the time. You know, the, the music videos and it was on, you know, rock radio, of course, all over at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I've never turned on hybrid theory and played it from beginning to end. It's never happened. So maybe I need to. Maybe this is going to push me to do that. Yeah, I, I like wasn't expecting it to blow me away as a, hmm. you know, 28 year old. But uh, it it did it kind of did last year when I revisited it and like um, I've been like wanting to listen to it over and over again and like catch things since then and it's like not just nostalgia I, like it really is like 
a fucking good album from like a musical <laughs> so, place i follow you yeah yeah, I'm into yeah. it. I'm into it. You, you've convinced me. This is this will be my next project. <laughs> Frankly, I, I had to. I felt like I had to like throw something from that era out there, anyways, too, just because like I don't know. When I think late '90s, early 2000s, I think of like a lot of crap. You know? Yeah. I don't know about you guys. It was just like a really rough time for genuine music. It's, I think to like pull through, and I, I think yeah. this album covered it. I think it, 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 it did it's fair. Yeah. Unless you're into trip hop like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Frankly, I can see a lot of trip hop influences on this album too, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- it was definitely that era that, that like new metal era when like every band had a DJ who was putting in like scratches seemingly <laughs> yeah. at random, <laughs> but you know, yep. yeah, no. And, and, you know, uh, another thing to remember is that um, this album came out around the same time as Radiohead's Kid A and outsold it like 20 to 1. Like, it, it was way, way, way more popular than Kid A ever was or ever will be. And mm-hmm. they, both those were happening at the same time. Kid A and Linkin yeah. Park were both, you know, hitting a creative peak at around the same time, which is the year 2000. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Um, yeah, and in a weird way, the two, like, inform each other to me. Like, Kid A is one of my favorite albums of all time. And I think, like, that's a big part of the reason why I like hybrid theory so much mm. is, um, I don't know. They, they almost feel like two sides of the same coin to me in a right. weird way. And I, I, th- you might go listen to this and, and like email <laughs> me tomorrow and be like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's like absurd. <laughs> oh, but, oh I'll, um, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, not only will I let you know, um, uh, Tre- Trevor, we have a really good, um, discord community, uh, people who come to visit this record store, Folks share recommendations, all, all kinds of great stuff, have great conversations. I promise you that I will bring this up in the Discord channel. <laughs> I will talk about, I will, I will listen to it, and then I will bring it up and go, hey, everyone, please give me all your thoughts, opinions, and views on hybrid theory, because all I know is a couple music videos. That's all I know. So uh, yeah. so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. This is going to be a fun little adventure. Yeah, I hope you enjoy. Um, don't use my name unless you get some positive responses. <laughs> You got it. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Uh, Next decade, number two, is the debut album by Tame Impala, Inner Speaker. Like a lot of people, I was a huge fan of Tame Impala uh, when their uh, first couple of albums came out. Uh, Lonerism and Inner Speaker are like two of my favorite albums. And, you know, uh, they, and I say they, but of course, any music snob will tell you that it's actually just one guy. It's become <laughs> quite, a, quite a meme recently. Uh, yeah, just one guy, Kevin Parker. You know, when Kevin Parker went a little bit, uh, I guess, more pop and mainstream with like Currents, I guess, was like the big pop breakthrough album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, t- I tuned out a little bit. Um, I-, I still thought those albums after that were good. I guess it was just Currents and the Slow Rush. I thought they were like good albums, but not as much my thing. Well, I mean, um, I, I, one thing I know about you for sure, um, in fact, you have a couple of tattoos of this band. Uh, you love King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard. And, wearing uh, the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, I definitely picture early Tame Impala to have a lot more in common with with King Giz than they do now. Now, now I, I don't really see the similarities as much, but in the right. old days, I definitely thought that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think in the early 2010s, there was like this huge burgeoning community in Australia of like really like 
underground psych stuff happening. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know what, what was in the water. Right. But, you know, it was just like psych band after psych band was coming through, you know, just pumping out all sorts of amazing stuff. Uh, King Gizzard, Tame Impala. There was all these like offshoot bands like Pond, um, Pond yeah. you know, part part of Tame Impala sort of. And I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm so into everything from that era and everything to come from that. Uh, I think Kevin got a little bit too big for that after a certain period. You yeah. Know, he became so popular and, you know, I think his talent just like kind of put him on the international stage and he was no longer part of this like DIY psych scene in Australia as much. So I guess that explains it. But, you know, if we're looking at Inner Speaker, which is that, you know, Tame Impala's debut album, it is like pure psych, you know, pure just like electronic goodness. Um well, I say electronic, but it was also very, like, uh, guitar-centric on that album, you know, more so than, say, Currents was. And um, for for me, it's, like, way more fun to listen to than anything he's done since. You know, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite songs, Alter Ego's on that album. And Alter Ego's just, like, I come back to that song every week, I feel like. You know, no matter what I'm doing, I take, like, 10 minutes to listen to Alter Ego. I think Elephants on Lonerism, which is the album after that. But, mm-hmm. you know, much like chunkier songs. Um, and I feel like they really captured that early 2010s, you know, psych thing perfectly. So props to Inner Speaker. I uh, just had its 10th anniversary. I just ordered the box set. Hopefully it shows up at my nice. door soon. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a good choice for sure. And I guess that leads me uh, once again up the timeline to my number one, uh, which is the debut album by Julian Baker called Sprained Ankle. So Julian Baker kind of came at me seemingly like out of nowhere. Um, you know, I've, I've always had, you know, a certain kind of love for like the, the singer-songwriter uh, like especially like sad singer songwriter thing, I was like a big fan of Death Cab, Death Cab for Cutie for many years, um, and then I don't know I kind of grown out of it, but then it like became a big thing again in the early 2010s with like Bonnie Vare, uh, Fleet Foxes, uh, who else am I missing? You know, uh, P- oh, uh, Sufjan Stevens, people like that, mm-hmm. um, and then like along comes Julian Baker who I think, like, put out, like, the most heart-wrenching, most, like, purely sad album I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Uh, And Sprained Ankle is, like, that 100%. Like, every time I listen to this album, I cry. And I, like, can't help it. I've heard it a million times, but I still cry every time I listen to it. Um, If you've never, like, sat down and listened to it or, like, read the lyrics, like, be prepared. It is going to murder you. It is that hard to listen to sometimes. That's a great pick. And it's also nice, too, to have someone so contemporary on your list because it's kind of hard to put some something that new because as a debut, I don't know, like, it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but what I mean is, like, a debut really means something because it's it's the debut before something else. Like, the debut is, like, the presentation. It's like, and here's the debut and here's the follow-up. And so, like, having someone that new have her debut reach you that much is that's a powerful thing. You know, like that's, that's, that's nice. Uh, what, what year did you say this album came out in? I want to say 2015. That sounds about right. Um, yeah. Cause I, I feel like all the boy genius musicians 
all were making like their debuts around that same time. Yeah, yeah. Phoebe Bridgers came in a little bit later, and and Lucy uh, Dacus Lucy, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird. I mean, none of what came after this debut album has really like hit the same for me. Mm-hmm. Like Boy Genius, pretty much everything Phoebe's done. Like I know it's I know it's all good. It's just I don't know. It doesn't hit the same. Even Julian's uh, following two albums for me were like, um, everything's felt like a little bit canned. You know, like very predictable, very like, um, you know, right in the in the singer songwriter box, you know. And like, I listen to it once, I get it, eh, you know. But like, you go back to this album, and you know, she's talking about, um, you know, like addiction in like very vulnerable ways, talking about, um, you know, being like abandoned by a lover on the sidewalk. And it's all like just like her, like and a, and a guitar. There's like ver- virtually no production value. It really feels like you're just in a room with this person in a coffee shop or something. And I I feel like after you do that once, you can't really replicate it. And that's kind of like the difficult thing with these singer songwriters is they have like an amazing explosive like first album that really um, expresses what they're about. And then they get, you know, like signed to a label and they get producers and they get a full band and it loses that thing that makes it special after that, at least to me, you know, like um, with any of these singer songwriters, they really make a strong impression on me at first. And then they get too big and too produced and I like stop caring, you know, like the vulnerability seems to go away with higher production values, you know, more, more studio time, et cetera. Like I feel like there's definitely something about like a, a by yourself, a bedroom project, singing your guts right. out to basically an empty void because you aren't sure if anyone's listening. You aren't sure if anything you're saying will ever even be heard. And um, yeah, yeah, you're right. When there's expectations, a budget, a label telling you you need to hit a certain number of sales, I'm sure I'm sure everything changes just slightly. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if Daniel Johnson had gotten like big enough where he got produced and had a full band it like just wouldn't have worked they, they tried you know? once it, they they, they <laughs> um he, he got signed i want to say to electra maybe and they, right, they released yeah. that one album fun and it bombed yeah. so enormously that he got to he got to keep being daniel johnston you know so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah maybe that's part of it too you need failure you, if, if you ever yeah. have the opportunity for success you need to fail still so you can stay under the radar like yeah. that. <laughs> I'm waiting for Coldplay to totally just fail everything so I can get another Parachutes. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a fair point. I, I, I would Parachutes was so simple and beautiful, and then it just what ha- what happened? Like, yeah. And, and yeah. as a big Radiohead fan, um, during that window of all the bands that were like severely influenced by Radiohead. Let's say the Travis's, the Coldplay's, oh. all, all those bands that were Radiohead adjacent. But, but you know, kind of because they were influenced by them, they were always like one generation behind Radiohead, you know? So like when Radiohead was being Kid A, they were being OK Computer and the Benz, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, because I love Radiohead, I really liked those bands too. Because I'm like, hey, Travis is cool. It's just early Radiohead, <laughs> you know? And um, But you're right. Uh, uh, Coldplay did exactly what Trevor just said. They got so big that suddenly they're working with Brian Eno and now they're doing these overproduced worldwide tours and wearing funny jackets and Viva La Vida, (laughs) you know, that's cool. But it's not, it's not what I was there for originally. 
Weird. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Radiohead, I'm really glad they never did that. I, yeah. I love that they've always maintained that aesthetic. Yeah, no, Radiohead, I mean, they're definitely one of my favorite bands, period. And they've they've somehow been able, probably just with their own personalities, to avoid all of the pitfalls of um, the mainstream music industry writ large, you know, and congrats. Word. Go, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent list. Uh, this yeah. is great. Um, I guess it's my turn. So uh, let's see. Trevor, you go put your records back. I'm going to go wander around the store, pick up mine. And then we'll uh, finish this off with uh, with my top five. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. In this season of Unobscured, we will follow Grigory Rasputin's transformation from a peasant at the crossroads of history to a monster at the center of far too many legends. And in the process, learn how he took the weight of a fallen empire with him to the grave. Elite aristocratic society in Russia at the time was fascinated with very spiritualist leaders, with gurus, and there was this desire to seek alternate ways of connecting with reality that traditional religion and the church were unable to explain to people who were seeking answers to sort of these life's questions that seemed to have this pressing urgency right around 1900. Join us as we make our way into the burning palaces of Imperial Russia, to dig up the truth about Grigory Rasputin. Unobscured Season 4 is available now. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Peace to the planet. I go by the name of Charlemagne the God. My mama calls me Lenard McKelvey. See, I thought I just had a face for radio, then some good white people at Comedy Central gave me a new TV show called The God's Honest Truth. Won't God do it? And you know they couldn't contain my blessed black and highly favored ass to just 30 minutes once a week. Nope, I'm delivering extended sermons straight into your ears like a dollar store Q-tip. Plus, the check already cleared so I can say whatever the hell I want. Like, cracker-ass cracker. See? Listen to The God's Honest Truth on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are back. Uh, we're playing the High Fidelity game. We're doing top five debut albums. Tara has gone. Trevor has gone. And now it is my turn. Um, so, uh, I, I, as always, I make like these little rules to help narrow down the pool. Because obviously there's a lot of debut albums out there. I mean, nearly every band in the world has a debut album. I dare <laughs> say every band in the world. <laughs> and um, so I, I made myself two rules. Uh, one... I, I did cut off anyone who has only recorded one album. Because kind of like we talked about before, if it's a debut, it has to be a debut to something. So if there's no follow-up, then there then it's not a debut. Anyway, doesn't really make sense, but it's a rule I made. If you only have one album, you're off my list. Number two, uh, I made a rule that basically 
the debut album has to be like a substantial representation of like the artist's discography. Like, um, here's a perfect example. We we're just talking about um, Radiohead. Pablo Honey is an excellent album, but it is by no means representational of Radiohead. So I'm like, uh, you're not making the list. No matter how much I love Radiohead, saying Pablo hmm. Honey was a great debut would be a lie because that's not the the Radiohead I love. So anyway, you, you get my rules and they're very loosey-goosey and I'm sure I'm <laughs> going to break them. So here we go. My number five, I actually feel a little bad about talking about this album positively because it's a trio and one of the three have been Me Too'd. And so I don't really want to promote oh, him. No. I know, right? That's the weird world we live in of, you know, all this stuff. So I guess I'm not going to focus on it too much, but just just know that I feel some trepidation about recommending a group where one of the three members has been called out as for, for being a creep. So anyway, the year's 2010. The album is Shut Up, Dude, and it's by Das Racist. Occasionally with powders in it. Yes, talking fresh. Yeah, good hair. You can say I'm Malcolm-esque. Like the tresses, like the dresses, flowy and sexy. Spin off, blow up. Uh, if you guys don't remember, uh, anyone here at the record store, uh, Das Racist was a very short-lived hip-hop trio made up of three members. It was Heems, Cool AD, and uh, Dapwell. Uh, by the way, Cool AD was the one that was called out by his ex-wife for being a full-blown creep. You can read up about it if you want. And that's why I have trepidation recommending or even listening to Cool AD stuff anymore. And I guess that's just kind of where we live in the world, where separating art from artist, I'm not good at that yet. I, I think about it too much when it's happening and it, it's hard. But anyway, anyway, um, the point is this album was really, really great. Uh, their second album dropped just six months after this. And um, I loved how fun and light and it just seemed like it was just completely improvised and kind of careless. But the quality was so high. So it felt like this weird little like imp improvised perfection is what it felt like. And I know a lot of hard work went into it, so that's not what it was. And um, yeah, yeah. Did, did, did uh, either of you get into Das Racist when they were happening for that short, like, few-year period? Uh, I heard about them and went over my head. Right. Can't say I did. They, 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 they came and they went I, very quick. Yeah. I think I did. I definitely remember Heems from the... Um, oh, wait. Didn't they do, like, a weird... Um, not sample thing, like a mashup album situation or something? Not, not that I know of. They, they only had three quote-unquote real albums. There was uh, Shut Up Dude, Sit Down Man, and Relax. And um, yeah, yeah, I only know, I mean, of course, everybody knows the combination Pizza Taco Bell song. Right, yes. But <laughs> um, I, I, I know Heems from working with Tori Moi also. Yeah, no, no. Heems um, of the trio is to me the one who has continued to put out the best quality stuff. He's put out um, a couple of really great solo albums. Um, one is called Eat, Pray, Thug, and one is called Wild Water Kingdom. Both are really, really excellent. He also has a, um, a new group with, um, let's see, who's that guy that starred in that drummer movie that's really popular? He's an actor. Oh. Oh yeah, I just a, saw that. His name metal, the, Sound of Metal. Or yes, something, yeah, that's right? the movie. Yeah, I just saw that movie, and I can't remember the I actor's name? His name. He did such a good job. I can't remember his name. He was also in that um, in that uh, Venom movie. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna look it up because I, I don't want to be rude to this man, nor or any ruder than I already have been. <laughs> All right, I've looked it up. 
Riz Ahmed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So Heems has uh, a new group with Riz Ahmed called Sweatshop Boys. That's very good. Very, very good. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of the same fun that Das Racist had. But uh, anyway, anyway, I, I could go on and on. But uh, I really love Shut Up, Dude. So much so that I'm willing to talk about it despite the fact that I'm conflicted about liking it anymore. I think as long as you address it and just like don't gloss over it as though it's not a big deal. Yeah. I, I feel I that way. Doing the right thing. I feel like apologizing for the Smiths every time I listen to them, you know? But yeah. Yeah. But it's not. Uh, yeah. But just don't listen to the solo Morrissey. Just listen to the Smiths. Some solo Morrissey is really good. The, I know. Shh, don't. I know. The more you ignore me, man, that song is so good. Ugh. I know. It sucks. And Ryan Adams' Heartbreaker is such a good album. Like, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Should we bring up Michael Jackson? Because we can. It's, no. It's no really, really hard to listen to Michael Jackson. Anyway, I, I, I don't have the pink. answer to separating artists from yeah, art. Pink. I can't do it. I, 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 I don't know. I'm, it's still something I'm working mm. on. Yeah. It's like, I've been reading on Reddit uh, about, you know, people talking about how, like, it's almost, like, morally uh, the right thing to do to, like, torrent or, you know, like, rip people's music who have been canceled or Me too mm. um, Just, like, listen to their music. Just don't support them financially in any way. Not even the, like, fraction of a fraction of a cent they might get on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Just, like... It's an interesting idea. Yeah. It's just, like... Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. do it. I wouldn't support them at all, but... Yeah. No, it's no, no. Like I, yeah, it's interesting. I, I have thought about that, too. It's, like, I have the Heartbreaker album on vinyl, which is great to listen to on vinyl, but I will not stream it. Same, same thing. It's like, I'm not giving him, he already had, he already got my money from the vinyl. So I don't <laughs> right. uh, have to give him any more, but I can still listen to the music, especially cause there's some really great, like Emmylou Harris and uh, other collaborators on there too. Women. Yes. So, Oh, it's hard. I, I, I don't yeah. have any answers to this. It's a growing developing thing that I I, I'm rolling t- with and maybe someday I'll, I'll have better solutions, but not yet. <laughs> Moving on, moving on. (laughs) My number four, it's from 1996, and it is Tiger Milk by Belle and Sebastian. Such a fun album. Uh, You know, I mean, if you love Belle and Sebastian, this really is like the big bang that started it all. And um, the way that it started is so interesting, too, because, like, um, from what I've gleaned just from, you know, the little knowledge I know is that um, so it was like a class project at, like, their music school. And basically, um, uh, Stuart Murdoch mostly was like a dude who played like coffee shops and things like that. So he had a few songs already written. And uh, I think there was perhaps an EP that was ready of like stuff he had already already written. And so when in this class project where once a quarter or whatever, they produce a full album and they had to pick who they were going to do, they were like, oh, Stuart already has some songs. Let's let's go with his. <laughs> and so then everyone from this class that helped collaborate to make this album just became Bell and Sebastian. Like none of them had worked with each other. None of them had really like, you know, uh, planned on doing this. But it was just like such an obvious thing. Like when they got together, we're forced to play to e- with each other. And it's just like, oh, hey, we're a band now. What do you know? And um, mm. I think it still holds up with uh, their whole discography. I think I think Bell and Sebastian's whole uh, music catalog is really really great. And um, this this one this debut when they were still in school and did it basically as an assignment, I think stands shoulder to shoulder with a lot of their best. So c- congrats to them. You know, I've heard people say Tiger Milk was like one of the fastest turnarounds of an album like ever. Wow! Like, like you said, they like got together like 
super fast. They recorded super fast, and the album was released within like two months of recording or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it does. It's a, it came out in March, or it was recorded in March and released in June, March same wow. year. Well, or, sorry, yeah. June. Yeah. And I think part March of that to too was that um, the original pressing was only a thousand copies because it was like part of. The like the the recording process was a part of the school. Like the someone at the school was the one who ran the label. So like those first thousand copies are like super collectible now. They are like you know yeah gold. Yeah. Oh my god yeah yeah that's cool. But yeah, I I, I love it. Lo- I love Bell and Sebastian. I'm glad they've uh, they've kept doing what they've been doing. You know. And um, another thing I'll say too, um, Stuart Murdoch has a um, has a medical thing where he has chronic fatigue syndrome is i believe what it's called he's always very just kind of like lethargic it's it's a thing that hits him and it's very very difficult for him to you know function in life um so because of that um you know i, I always thought that was kind of an explanation for like that bell and sebastian sound was that that like his chronic fatigue syndrome and then i saw him for the first time live maybe 2 years ago something like that last time that they uh, came through atlanta and holy cow, he runs around and he dances and he has such a good time. And I'm like, wow, this is not what I expected. But he was he was a pinball. He was having a grand old time on that stage, just full of energy, playing games yeah. with the audience, inviting people up, dancing. Like, Was that Tabernacle show? Uh, yes, this was the Tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, I was there. He was running all over the place. Mm-hmm. Wow, hard to believe that he has. Well, I guess I don't really know much about that. Me either. Uh, yeah. Ailment. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it, it's the same thing. Where, like, if someone has like narcolepsy, and you're like, "What? You're awake?" It's like I'm not always sleeping, so I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are windows of energy that he has. But um, but yeah, wonderful show. Do you remember who the opening act was? I remember it was really good. Oh, oh um, a uh, lady. Boys, I uh, men, men I trust. It was men I trust. What? Yeah. Why do I? I just saw them at. Drunken Unicorn, like, after that. Oh. Well, anyway, my number three. The year is 1989. The album, Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. Before you even put on your slip shirt and fat the rope, just take your big ass to the bathroom and please use a little bit. So, um, to me, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't want to say that De La Soul peaked, with their first album, but they definitely like established like an amazing foundation, you know, like it's like, you can't get much better than that. Like this was the first of three albums they did with Prince Paul. Um, They really were like making that conscious hip hop sound like established in the mainstream, which was really wonderful and kind of spread to all kinds of other things. Um, I'd be curious, would there be a De La Soul without Tribe Called Quest? And would there be a Tribe Called Quest without De La Soul? Because they both kind of feel like they orbited each other and were kind of part of the same movement and the same collective happening at the time. But um, I love them both equally, but com- completely separately. I don't know. I, I-, I can't answer that question. But um, I really liked uh, this one thing that uh, the Village Voice said when the album first came out, which was, uh, De La Soul is new wave to public enemies punk. And I thought that was a good way to put it. Because, you know, obviously at the same time... Mm-hmm. Public Enemy is doing a completely different sound in uh, in hip hop, and obviously equally great. But the De La Soul sound just felt so special and interesting. And uh, uh, I know it got put into the Library of Congress because of that. Uh, that this album did uh, just for being, you know, an outstanding representation of recorded music, or however they classify that kind of stuff. 
And uh, another interesting thing that I saw recently about it was that um, this album is credited with being the first hip hop album to include skits. Oh, wow. Yeah. We talk about skits a lot. We do. And in, I, this, in this store. I feel like it's going to be a list someday. <laughs> someday we will do top five <laughs> yeah. skits from albums. And uh, also, um, I think that despite the fact that they say it's the, the first hip hop album to have skits, I bet there were other albums before that, you know? Um even if it's just dumb stuff, like for example, I'm thinking of uh, Johnny Cash's uh, Live at Folsom Prison. There's oh, stuff yeah. where he's like talking to the audience and stuff. In a way, that's a skit, but who knows? I don't, I don't know. Distinctions and genres and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is a really good choice for for this. It's classic hip hop, classic so debut. Good. Yes. Yeah, and has that like alternative kind of like vibe. Different. I, I like that new wave comment that person said. It has me thinking, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's also just like still fun to listen to. E- even to this day, yeah. Three Feet High and Rising holds up as just like a, a perfect album. Top to bottom, it, it works in every regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And samples a lot of different music, too. I believe they got in trouble for that. If I remember correctly, the most recent time they were trying to put out an, uh, a, a, a re-release of it or you know, a, a new pressing anniversary edition, something like that, they got in a big fight with their label, which I believe was Tommy Boy, because Tommy Boy didn't want to pay mm-hmm. the licensing fees for all the samples. Because that was definitely Aww. made at the time when like, you know, clearing a sample wasn't even a thing. Like no one even no one knew where to even begin with that concept. Yeah. So um yeah, I, I believe there was a big battle over that. And I think it resulted in De La Soul giving away their entire catalog for free, like on some sort of, I think it was like on Valentine's what? Day or something like that. Oh just, my just, gosh. Because they were like, no, we want people to hear our music. What's the point of being a musician yeah. if no one ever listens to you? So uh, anyway. I did that before this, in Rainbows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, in Rainbows was such a great move. I love that. <laughs> in many ways, the in Rainbows um, model for... Um, if people in the store don't remember, Radiohead was more or less the first band to do, to do the uh, pay what you want model. They were like the first one to do that. And in that regard, in many ways, Radiohead invented Bandcamp, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. My number two. The year is 2009. The album is Jewelry, and it's by Mikachu and the Shapes. Uh, to me, Mikachu holds that perfect spot in music where she's experimental as hell, always pushing boundaries, all kinds of new production methods, et cetera, et cetera. Complex time signatures, builds her own instruments, odd tunings on instruments, and she uses it to make pop songs. You know, like it's that perfect noise pop balance of I'm going to be really edgy and push things and do whatever I want, but I'm still going to have you tap in your toe. I'm still going to put a chorus in there. And um, there's something just really fun about that because it gives you everything. It gives you great songwriting and it gives you progression and change and new, brand new everything. So um, I love Mika Levi. She is just a huge hero of mine. Love her to death. Yeah. I haven't listened to this album probably since it came out. Oh, wow. And I loved it then. I'm, I actually am like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about this. So I'm glad that you brought it up. I'm going to listen to it later. Well, it's also odd, too, because when this came out, obviously it was the only 
it was the only album I had from Mika Levi. But then as time went on, she became so much more like in, in my own personal music library, I have way more Mika Levi soundtracks and mm-hmm. like experimental noise albums than I do of like her pop albums now. And in fact, um, what happened was, uh, let's see, she uh, was in a band called Mikachu and the Shapes with two other band members. And then I believe it was their third album. Then they uh, changed their name to Good, Sad, Happy, Bad. And then the keyboardist, uh, Raisa Khan, she took over as the lead vocalist on the newest album, the album that was released in 2020 called Shades. So like, what a strange thing where like the lead, all three members are still there from Mikachu and the Shapes. They just changed who the lead singer was and they changed the name of the band. So it's almost like a brand new band, but with all the same members. It's an odd move. Is Tirza, Tirza is part of Mikachu and the Shapes? I don't believe so. I know Tirza worked with Mikachu a lot and like Mikachu produced and co-wrote some things. Okay. I think, yeah. But I think Tirza is separate on her own path. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I love the Under the Skin soundtrack. I just don't like this new Mika Levi album though. Which one? Like just came out. Oh, her like because uh, she just she just surprise released two albums recently. January twenty seventh. Yes. Blue Alibi. She has another one after that one too. Oh wait, maybe maybe this one isn't the no. I, yeah, this is the one I didn't like. Blue Alibi. I gotcha. didn't like it. Um, but yeah, but that's the thing I like about Mika Levi though is that she will change whenever she feels yeah. like it. She she yeah. she is flighty in a good way. And, you know, it's the thing I like about music is change and growth and progression. So this was a really nice, um, uh, this was a nice start. This was a nice kickoff for for me just being a big fan of Mika Levi and following her whole career. Yeah, I I need to go back and listen to it. I remember really liking it. It's just been a long time. I also really loved the follow-up, Never, that one. I thought that one was really, really great, too. Um, All right. You guys ready for my number one? Yeah. Uh, now, Tara, I haven't told you this yet. This album is also going to be my pick for our next album of the month club release. Oh, yes, okay. yes. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on the details later because we haven't officially figured out when we're going to, you know, have our little sit down. Uh, if anyone else in the record store <laughs> doesn't know, um, Tara and I have kind of a book club for music called Album of the Month Club, where uh, once a month, we uh, everyone who is attending, we exchange albums, everyone picks one, and everyone else listens to it, and then we just sit down and talk about it. It's like a book club, but for music mm-hmm. instead. And um, this is going to be my pick, because I, I, I was thinking about it for this list, and I thought, I just want, really want to talk about this album. The year is 1967. The album title is Song Cycle, and it's by Van Dyke Parks. Off the record, he is hungry though he works hard in his Alabama country fair. I should. Now, before we, I, I, I establish this as my pick for album of the month club, I, I already have. Tara, have you heard this album before? <laughs> no, good. I don't think I have. I'm ecstatic for that because I, I, th- I feel like that's like a bonus with album of the month club is introducing people to things that you love that they perhaps haven't heard before. Anything is fair game, but I, I, I like it when the other person hasn't heard it. So um, Van Dyke Parks, I mostly know because um, do you guys remember when the uh, Brian Wilson album of Smile came out? This would have been what, around 2004, 2005? Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yeah. 
when that happened, I, I, I obviously, like many people, got really into Smile. Not only the uh, brand new version that Brian Wilson put out, but then I also got many bootlegs of the uh, original, what was it? I want to say 1967 version, so perhaps the same year as Song Cycle. Anyway, um, but uh, one of the things I learned very quickly was how closely Brian Wilson was working with Van Dyke Parks at the time. Then also around that same time, I, got, I really got into that new Joanna Newsom album, East, where Van Dyke Parks did all these string arrangements. And I'm like, oh. who is this Van Dyke Parks guy? Obviously, I love him. <laughs> so I started uh, looking more and more into his career and just kind of seeing where he was going and what he was doing and what he had done in the past. And this album, Song Cycle by Van Dyke Parks, this was supposed to be his big breakthrough, I'm a popular musician in the mainstream album. And um, it wasn't. It was a huge failure. It cost tons of money for his label. It took tons of time. Critics liked it, but no one bought it. And um, his his whole idea basically was that at the time, so this was the, the mid-1960s, he felt like everything that was happening in the American music scene was just being overly influenced by the British music scene at the time, because like the British invasion had been in full swing for so long, et cetera, et cetera. So he felt like everything that was happening was just so like British influenced. There, there wasn't anything that had like traditional like American genres, things like bluegrass and ragtime and show tunes. And he's like, that's, you know, those are the American sound structures that that I am I, I really want to bring into the modern 1960s sound. So, uh, so that's what he did. And um, this album, Song Cycle, I believe is absolutely incredible. Um, there's this one part, because uh, Warner Brothers, I believe, is the label that put it out. And when he brought in the album to his, like, you know, whoever was in charge of giving him money at Warner Brothers, he, he played the album for him. And the Warner Brothers executive was like, it's called Song Cycle, right? And he's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And he's like, well, where are the songs? Because there are basically no traditional songs on the whole thing. It's it's almost like a collection of snippets hmm. that mold together into a feeling. Um, but anyway, I absolutely love it. And anyone who is keeping track of the record store and keeping track of, of mine and Tara's album of the month club, give a song cycle a few listens. Cause that's going to be the next thing we talk about whenever we get around to doing our next album of the month club session. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. nice. Um, I, I just, I was just looking him up. Uh, and yeah, maybe this is something we talk about, but I just zoomed in on something that was so strange. I have to say it. Uh, supposedly he had a, an unsuccessful hand surgery causing his hands to freeze about 40 minutes into playing piano. What? I don't know. You mean like every what? time or just that first time or like every day? It's all it's, it's just, that's the sentence. Wow. I don't understand wow. either. It's just so bizarre. Huh. That's, that's when time underwent. stopped. <laughs> yeah, time froze. Parks underwent unsuccessful hand surgery in 2014, causing his hands to freeze after about 40 minutes of playing piano. The end. End of so, sentence. Nothing more. So they never unfroze? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I'm so confused by this sentence. I wonder if his hands are frozen right now. <laughs> huh. More. We will have more. We have to do some investigation. We'll talk more about this. On when that day, album, yeah, yes. when we do our album of the month club for sure. Interesting. He also, cool. <laughs> he also has a song called "The Parting Hand." If you didn't know, oh no, what? his poor frozen parting hand. His frozen <laughs> parting hand. Yeah. Um, he also has a really wonderful album that, because honestly, if you just go through his career, 
he's he's a very in-demand dude because he's very singular in what he does. And um, he made this really wonderful album with uh, Inara George that's just the tops. Um, I could go on and on. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about him later. For now, that is my number one. I love it. And that concludes my list. Great list. So Everyone, great list. The last thing we do before we close up is we do a very quick restocking of the employee recommendation shelf. Tara, what do you want to put up there? I'm feeling like spring is in the air right now. So I'm I'm going for a sort of an album that makes me feel like spring is around the corner. And it is from 1986, The Color of Spring by Talk Talk. love that song life's what you make it and it's on this album i'm a huge fan of talk talk they're uh more experimental albums not so much i mean of course i love the fun new wave stuff too but um but laughing stock and um spirit of eden those more experimental sort of jazzy albums are, are so good i love them so much but the color of spring talk talk love it um I had a couple that I was kind of teetering back and forth between for my pick, but when Trevor was talking about sad singer-songwriters, it, it, it tipped me over. So I, I, the one I, I'm not going to mention was the 1957 album Exotica by Martin Denny. It's excellent reading music, and I've listened to it a lot, but I'm not going to mention that one. That's unmentioned. The one I am going to mention is the year 2018, Anna McClellan, and the album is called Yes and No. We're coming up roses, lightning bugs, and half done sketched out songs. songs Such good stuff. It, it, it kind of, um, to me, it kind of uh, echoed with everything that uh, Trevor was saying before about Julian Baker. That feeling of just like someone kind of like breaking down on their own. Um, a big part of it for me is Anna McClellan has this wonderful voice that just kind of like wavers and like quakes as she sings. And um, mm. it feels very personal. It feels very emotional. It feels very like you are in a room with her playing. Uh, it's traditional singer-songwriter, very piano-based. And um, I love it. Check out Yes and No by Anna McClellan. Uh, she also had a brand new album that came out last year that's also good. Uh, Trevor... I know you don't work here, but would you would you please <laughs> add something to our employee recommendation shelf? Yeah, I'm going to recommend something uh, that a mutual friend of ours turned me on to not that long ago, maybe just uh, a month or so ago. Um, that friend is Andrew Howard, mm -hmm. and he turned me on to Kelly Lee Owens, yeah. uh, who's a fucking fantastic Welsh uh, electronic uh, musician. And uh, the album that I've been like, that I've had on repeat over and over again that I highly recommend to anybody. It's called Inner Song. Uh, there's actually a Radiohead cover uh, that kicks off that album. Uh, but Inner Song, check it out. Kelly Lee Owens. Really, really beautiful kind of techno pop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tara and I fully agree. We 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 also yeah. love Ke uh, Kelly Lee Owens. I was so, going to say excellent pick. too. I have Kelly Lee Owens on my shortlist, which we haven't done our shortlist. <gasps> oh my gosh, let's 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 roll through our shortlist real Can quick. We? Okay, we're going back well, in time, I'll, but forget it. Shortlist, uh, yeah. Please, okay, Tara. I'll just since I've said Kelly Lee Owens, self-titled, the first one, 
Amazing. Also, War Paint, The Fool. Love that record. Feist, Let It Die. Holy moly. Great Interpol, moment. Turn On The Bright Lights, Fiona Apple Title. That's nice. Uh, here, here's a couple of mine that I, I didn't get to include. Uh, the Clash, Self-Titled. Uh, the Cold Nose by Department of Eagles. Uh, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music by Outkast. Uh, here's one that I really wanted to put on there. But they've they've gone so many places that this one didn't feel representational anymore. Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. Oh, mm, oh, it's a good one. Such a great debut. But um, but yeah, I I just feel like they've changed so much in their careers. Anyway, I I just couldn't I I couldn't do it. And of course, Murmur by REM. Amazing. Uh, uh Trevor, any that you really wanted to mention but you couldn't uh, quite squeeze in? Uh, yeah, there are two that come to mind. Uh, that I was debating. Uh, one is the uh, first Rage Against the Machine album. Yeah. Just like nothing beats it. So For good. sure. Um, and then the second one was the uh, debut album by the Mars Volta, which is called D Laos and the Comatorium, I think 2003. Uh, that album's just such a ripper, and I come back to it often. Uh, so. Yeah. No, they just announced an enormous Mars Volta vinyl box set. Have you seen that? I uh, I actually scored one this morning, luckily. Whoa! So. <laughs> Timing, nice. <laughs> yeah, when they when they first announced it, it was like five hundred dollars, and I was like, man, I'm not gonna pay five hundred dollars for this. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I was like, oh shit, I really want that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh fuck! And they sold out like within twenty four hours. And like right. when I saw that they had sold out, I was like. I think I screwed up. Like I should have gotten one. What am I doing with my life? So since then I've been on the hunt to like find one and, you know, go into my life savings to be able to afford it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I made it happen today finally. So Ooh. fantastic. Congrats on yes. that. Are you going to open it? Are you going to open it? Like unwrap it and leave it totally wrapped. That, that brings up a good question about like when you buy collectible things, you Should open you open it? it and enjoy it, or mm-hmm. do you just like it for the collectible value? I'm a big fan of the former. Like, man, like open that shit up, spin it, enjoy yeah. it, read the books, you know, like play the 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 like studio outtakes and all the B sides that you would never get to hear otherwise. You know, I, I'm a big fan of like getting the tangible experience out of my records, and mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, I don't plan on ever really selling many, so I don't really see the value in like maintaining the integrity of the plastic you know seal and all that kind of stuff so yeah i fully agree That's i fully me. agree feel the same way well we have uh kept our doors open a bit too long got to close up for the night uh thank you everyone who's in the store for stopping by we always appreciate you coming into our little record store uh trevor thank you in particular for coming by and playing the game with us you're the greatest My pleasure. and um i guess that's gonna do it for this evening so uh we gotta go but happy trails everyone until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at recordstoresociety. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When you game with Alienware, you have the freedom to be anyone, like the galaxy's most feared warrior, and the freedom to go anywhere. 
Elevate your gameplay with the new Alienware X-Series laptops with 11th Gen Intel Core processors. Defy boundaries and start gaming now at Alienware.com. It's the coldest of cold cases. Five women murdered and mutilated in Victorian London. But trust me, everything you think you know about Jack the Ripper and his victims is wrong. I'm historian Hallie Rubenhold, and when I went back into the records, it became clear that the real story of those murdered women is richer and far more disturbing than we'd ever been told. Listen to Bad Women, The Ripper Retold on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. We want to kick back and hang out with you. But we know you're busy, so let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.